Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. It's well known that San Diegans pay some of the highest utility rates in the country. And now San Diego Gas and Electric wants to raise rates again. In a recent rate case filed with the California Public Utilities Commission, SDG&E proposed raising electricity bills by 5.6% and natural gas by 18.1%. The rate case is essentially a budget of how much SDG&E thinks it will cost to operate the grid. If passed, the rates would go into effect from 2024 through 2027. On June 9th, the San Diego Union-Tribune editorial board spoke with SDG&E executives Bruce Folkman and Scott Kreider. Here's an excerpt from that conversation with editorial and opinion director Matthew T. Hall. Okay, today the editorial board is joined by um, a couple executives at, at San Diego Gas and Electric, Bruce Folkman and Scott Kreider. Um, and we're going to be talking about... Um, their recent proposal to um, increase rates and, and, and some other things as well. And um, Scott, why don't you kick it off um, with a little bit of an organized um, Great. introduction. Great. Well, thank you, man. Thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity today. And, and first of all, I uh, want to extend our apologies that our, our CEO, Caroline Wynn, uh, couldn't be here today. Uh, I know we we're trying to accommodate um, your schedules as well. And um, uh, but she wishes that she could be here and looks forward to the discussion in the future. So, um, you know, really uh, what I wanted to do is just hit on two quick issues is one, just a little bit of context for uh, SDG&E's role and other utilities in the state. Um, and number two, some of the uh, 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 overall kind of drivers in terms of the right rate conversation that's really happening statewide. Um, and let, let me start off, Matt, by first by saying that you know, as we think about the uh, rate requests that we've made to the PUC, you know, we realize that this is a difficult time to ask any customers to pay more given the economy and, you know, the inflationary pressures that are uh, really impacting all families. Um, and it's important to, you know, understand that this is a 2024 uh, request, so there is no impact today. Uh, but really affordability and wildfires are the two things that really keep us up at night quite a bit. Uh, and so it's a it's a balance that we're really trying to uh, trying to strike. Um, one thing that we would like to cover in the um, in the conversation today is really around a role on climate. And I think as this paper's pointed out, we need rapid decarbonization, and utilities, including SDG&E, are going to play really a central role in making sure that we can hit you know carbon neutrality. Uh, you know, within the next two decades. And, you know, that's going to require investments in uh, expansion of the grid, um, overhaul of the grid, uh, to make sure that we can accommodate more EVs, more building electrification, uh, more renewable energy. And um, we are strongly in favor of this rapid decarbonization. And to, and what we're being held to is to the policies of the state and our local government partners in terms of the very aggressive goals that they've uh, that they've set on on uh, on carbon on, on decarbonization, again we are fully in support of it, uh, but this is going to require investment in order to be able to reach uh, reach those goals. Um, and then as we're really managing kind of the future and and investing in the grid to be able to enable this clean energy future, um, we're also managing climate risk today. Um, you, you know we are uh, the industry leader in wildfire safety. And you know, we've invested more than $3 billion over the last 10 years 
in order to make sure that we've got a fire safe grid. We made a commitment after you know, our incident in 2007 that it would never happen again. And uh, we're proud to say that it hasn't. And it, it's, it's largely due to the investments, the very early investments that we made in seeing the climate risks that are, that are coming at us and making sure that we're trying to get ahead of it as the other parts of the state uh, have, have really struggled. So, you know, as we think about those, those two challenges, uh, you, you know, we're trying to maintain reliability. We're trying to make sure that we've got a safe grid. We're trying to plan, you know, for, for this future of more electrification. And we're trying to ensure that we're maintaining the reliability that our customers expect. So, those are kind of really the core areas that we're really focused on. And we did do a study uh, to uh, really show a roadmap out to 2045 of how we can hit, you know, really carbon neutrality. And it's something that's really driving our investments and our rate requests uh, at really going forward. And then let me just turn very briefly, Matt, to kind of rate and affordability challenges generally. Um, you know, this is a statewide issue affecting all the utilities. You know, I think, you know, the editorial page, as well as your reporting has shown that, you know, there's a lot of discussions uh, with our regulators, the utilities, consumer groups, in terms of trying to come up with strategies to make sure that we can still invest in all these areas that I just talked about while keeping affordability for our customers uh, really in mind. Now, granted, we have been on, on the leading edge of that. And we've always acknowledged that we've had higher rates, but uh, again, that is really tied back to a lot of our investments in wildfire safety. And I think you'll see over time as the other utilities in the state start to invest like we have uh, in, climate, in climate and fire safety, that you're gonna see that, that gap between us and, and other utilities really start to close up. The second thing on rates um, is that there's always a focus on rates. And you know, I've, you know, as we pointed out to Rob uh, a couple of times, uh, you know, we do have higher rates. Um, but we also have the lowest average residential electric bill amongst the major utilities in the state. And our electric bill is also below the national average. So I know that that's not solace to uh, uh, you know, a family in Claremont who's paying $6 gas, but we do think that you know, having that context you know, for your readers is, is, is really important. Uh, again, higher rates, but low bills, um, in part because we have a moderate climate uh, but we've also been investing very heavily in energy efficiency. And as a matter of fact, the lowest, we have the lowest usage per customer on the residential side of any utility in America. So you were really proud of that fact, but um, uh, it, it, uh, um, it, it, it does have lower bills, but again, our, our rates are higher. And then really finally uh, around rates is uh, we need rate reform. So we realize that the, the, the trajectory that the state is on and the structure that we use today to charge customers, which is mainly what we call volumetric, you know, the more you use, the more you pay, um, you know, that isn't really um, gonna support electrification. And so we gotta find a way to um, come up with a different pricing strategy. And this is being discussed again at the commission, consumer groups uh, of a way that we can have pricing strategies that encourage electrification, encourage the use of more electric vehicles um, because the, the, the way that we're doing it today is, is, is going to be a headwind to that. Uh, and then and really finally, finally, um, you know, as we, as we think about the, the actions that SDG&E is taking on affordability, we think that we've got to get more costs out of, out of rates. 
Okay, and, and I think that, you know, the editorial page has uh, actually supported the bill that we had come up with in the state legislature to remove some of the social programs out of the bill and have that paid for uh, by, the, by the state budget. Um, using the bill as a taxing mechanism is, is the most regressive uh, way, uh, you know, to do that, especially for our lower income customers. And then uh, lastly, we're going to really need a lot of state and federal dollars to help invest in this infrastructure for the clean energy future. We are not gonna be able to uh, do it just on the backs of our customers and, 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 and with our bill. Uh, and so, you know, we're gonna be pursuing very aggressively, obviously the federal infrastructure dollars, uh, but uh, really encouraging the state and, and others. Um, where, where, how else can we finance this clean energy transition uh, to make sure that we can hit our climate goals, maintain reliability and also maintain affordability. So. Um, with that, I'll turn it over to Bruce, maybe just for um, just maybe two minutes or maybe yeah. we can, yeah. I'll keep it really quick, um, Scott, uh, the very thorough overview. I'll just, and I'm going to emphasize only a few key points. Um, we have obviously been working in the process of preparing the rate case that is the main topic of conversation here today for the last 18 months. A big part of that was the path to net zero study Scott mentioned, because we take our role very seriously in supporting the state's objectives to decarbonize. Um, so just a couple of really critical points about that, that, that are key drivers to, to what we are requesting and what we think is necessary to decarbonize and we actually think is, is fair and the right path. Um, is you must consider reliability. You know, our customers, all of us demand electricity at any moment of the day, whenever we need it, and we expect it to be there. We think that's very paramount to the future. At the same time, when we look out to 2045, we see, you know, volumes doubling, um, sales volumes doubling. So uh, fueling transportation with electricity and fueling decarbonization steps but they do increase volume. So part of our request is trying to thread this needle between the affordability concerns we have and the risk management concerns we have, not only wildfire, but keeping the system stable, reliable, um, and serving these much greater purposes, you know, a, a really a greater value to our customers than they've seen in the past, actually, because it's all the more critical um, to modern life. So. I'll stop there. I know you have a lot of questions, but just wanted to emphasize a few points there on try, how we try to find this balance between really affordability and risk. Thanks to you both. I, I appreciate uh, that overview and the, and the detail of it. But let's start with affordability. Right now, um, by your own data, one in four customers are late on their bills. A, is that correct? And B, doesn't that tell you that the, the bills are already, as you acknowledge, too high for a large segment of your customer base to cover. Yeah, I mean, we we are you know keenly focused on that, Matt, and um, you know we've been successful in securing you know more than sixty two million dollars you know from the state to help offset bills that have really accumulated uh, you know since the since the pandemic started. Uh, we also secured more than fifteen million. Um, from federal dollars through our, our local government partners. So, you know, we're continuing to, um, you know, work with our customers in terms of uh, uh, debt management or debt forgiveness plans. So we put a lot of, of, of uh, programs in place uh, to, to provide that support to our customers. Um, but, you know, look, it, 
as we think about you know affordability and it, you know Bruce just hit it. I mean, we we are trying to find that balance of of the investments and in safety and reliability while you know maintaining you know affordability you know as 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 best we can and um, you know in in addition to providing our customers uh, you know with a lot of low income uh, uh, discount programs uh, you know about a third of our customers receive about a third off their bill every single month through our low income discount program so you know we're we're you know we think that you know as 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 we've been moving through the pandemic. Um, you know, we have put a lot of things in place to provide that support to our customers, but, you know, obviously we still, we still have some ways to go. What was the number or the rate of um, customers who were behind on their bills prior to the pandemic? Was it close to 25% or was it not even in the ballpark? I, I, we can certainly get that for you, uh, Matt. I don't have that right in front. It, it's certainly higher. I can say that it's, it's certainly higher uh, today than it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, but we, we could certainly, uh, you know, provide that data to you. It's probably, you know, in, ter in terms of dollar amount, Matt, it's probably about half of what we see, dollar amount. Um, mm -hmm. Number of customers may not be similarly affected, but to give you an idea. And what, um, the way that stat is presented um, in, in reports is people who are late on their bills by 30 days, mm -hmm. which by my literal reading, could be 31 days. The bills just hasn't got to. So I'm curious, what what percentage? Maybe you can don't know this, but can get this for us too. What percentage is 60 days in arrears? Hmm. Yeah, you know? Matt, we could we could certainly uh, we we have that data. Um, okay. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, um, but but you do raise a good point. And and um, it, really, when we think about debt management, you know, for our customers, where we really start. Um, really doing a lot of engagement with customers is thinking, okay, what, what's kind of the 90 days uh, out? Um, and we've also, you know, put other uh, mechanisms in place like 24-month uh, payment plans for customers. We actually auto-enrolled all of our customers in 24-month payment plans. So we are we recognizing the challenges that many customers are facing. We are um, putting in, again, debt forgiveness programs, long-term repayment programs, uh, low-income programs, making sure every customer that qualifies uh, is taking advantage of those uh, of those discounts, uh, and uh, really working with our community-based organizations to you know reach out to the customers to figure out what's the um, what other what other uh, resources uh, that we can provide. Uh, again, the state and federal dollars, uh, you know, almost hundred million dollars in, in uh, uh, direct debt forgiveness. And certainly, um, you know, the, you know, the governor, uh, there is a, a proposal in the governor's May budget revision for additional uh, debt forgiveness uh, using uh, uh, state, state general fund dollars. So we view that as very good news and something we've been advocating strongly for. How, and talking about the rates, I understand your point about the bills, but you get what you pay for. If you use less, obviously you're not gonna pay as much. So on, on the rates, you know, my, my I use less gas and electricity than I did a year ago. My rates were uh, obviously much higher. My bills were much higher than they were a year ago. I'm very fortunate to be able to pay them. Yeah. If they're later than 30 days, it's be, blame the U.S. Postal Service because I get it to you guys in a timely <laughs> manner. But there are a lot of people, again, who cannot do that, who can't do that now, who see gas being six bucks 630, I think it is now, you know, 13 days mm -hmm. as we talk, increase daily. 
I, you know, that may not change. Maybe, like I said, again, your point is well taken that this increase, this new increase, this latest increase will come in 2024, but you're talking to people who are making decisions about <clears throat> what, you know, to, how to feed themselves because they don't have enough money for basic necessities. How, how, with a straight face, can you tell San Diegans, you're already, one in four of you already can't pay your bills, we're going to increase them in, in, in two years and, and good luck with that. It just, to me, the timing is terrible for you guys. I understand the logic behind it, but mm. the timing is, is, is terrible to be able to ask San Diegans for, to, to, to pony up significant sums of money more when they can't pay for what they're, what they need now. Yeah. Um, it's a fair, it's a fair question, Matt. It is, as we've said, a very important balance to strike. Um, I do think it's recognized in a lot of circles. So we, Scott mentioned, you know, our idea and supported by the editorial board to, to move some of these regressively collected programs out of utility rates. I'm hopeful there'll be some action there. The governor's budget proposal did include almost a billion dollars for a rearage relief, you know, for these late bills, um, to assist customers, um, we are beginning a process that will last 18 months for the general rate case where all of our proposals will be evaluated. Um, it's probably worth noting that, I'm not sure what, what your context is with regard to a general rate case. Um, they are all, they're always modified in the final analysis. Um, and I think some of the things you're mentioning will inform that. At the same time, um, we are, managing the risk side of the equation. So we have decarbonization policies in place in the state that we feel a high responsibility to meet. And frankly, we'll pay a, play an instrumental role in accomplishing those. So we're trying to find that balance. We think our customers benefit um, with successful management of wildfire mitigation costs. And maybe I'll mention one thing, um, a few things we're doing perhaps uh, to try to keep rates affordable. Um, and one that I wanted to talk about with this group is the high value of a, a quality operation. So we all know wildfire risk, particularly in California, has been difficult to navigate, to, to manage. Um, we are very proud of our role uh, and, frankly, our success in mitigating that risk. Um, but it does have a direct impact, a direct benefit to customers that other customers in the state don't enjoy. And one of those benefits is the cost of insurance. Um, we pay a fraction of the cost of insurance that other utilities in the state pay. Um, I probably won't necessarily drill into specifics on that point for competitive reasons, but it's dramatically lower. And that, that is a huge value to our customers. Um, it enables us to access the wildfire fund in the catastrophic event of a wildfire. It provides a financial st stability on which to operate and to serve our customers. Um, we're investing in drone programs to eliminate the use, the eventual use or reduce the eventual use of staff and vehicles rolling to inspect our, tra our transmission and distribution lines. Um, that program is relatively in its infancy. It's only been around a few years, but we're extremely excited about the ability to apply artificial intelligence to those images that are gathered either by drone or by our own fleet vehicles as they travel the roadways of our service territory. Um, 
it's been a dramatically effective program and we see a lot of promise for cost reductions in the future associated with that. Um, when we operate internally, we are looking at technologies, one of which is known as robotics process automation. Um, it's really just a more intelligent um, process, a computerized process to perform routine tasks and eliminate the investment in labor required to do that. We've created a lot of additional capacity to meet some of the challenges we've talked about today. Um, and maybe my last example that I'll mention quickly is as we've looked at, again, managing wildfire risk, uh, undergrounding of power lines is becoming a more prominent part of our program. It is unfortunately costly, but we've really sought ways to reduce that cost. And one of those, for example, is as we underground, we've recently um, determined it's, it's reasonable to reduce the depth at which we bury those lines, I think from 36 to 24 inches. Um, and, and steps like that do impact the cost of the improvements we're recommending. So we're, again, trying to find this right balance. We're looking at policy decisions on how we will decarbonize and how we'll manage um, the, the customer past due bills that you're speaking to. Um, I'm optimistic we'll be successful there. Another initiative we have underway now and have had for about a year is being very strategic about opportunities that present themselves in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed last year um, that'll make available, you know, literally over a trillion dollars for investments, many of which will be, may include utility opportunities. Um, most of our capital that we invest comes from capital markets, but if we're successful in our uh, initiative to capture some federal dollars, that would, that would be direct relief for customers in making some of these investments. So there are a lot of things at play. Um, again, trying to find the right balance, uh, a lot really just beginning the process of our rate case where we get input from folks like yourselves as obviously as well as our constituents. Um, I am encouraged you know, by some factors, we do enjoy lo lower unemployment, a recovering tourist industry that I, I think will help support San Diegans um, and all the challenges we see with some of these inflationary pressures that, that have an impact on us, but certainly have an impact on gasoline prices, cost of housing, all of these significant issues that are challenges for everyone living in our service territory and which we're very empathetic with. Um, and we think it's important to play our role to be sure that we meet policy objectives of the state. Um, we do it in an affordable way and in an equitable way. Um, one thing that uh, fits under the umbrella of rate reform is how can we do that? Scott mentioned a number of our customers, you know, a third of our customers enjoy about a, a third of a discount. Um, that may become more sophisticated in the future uh, as we electrify more um, and find better ways to modify our rates to be fair to everyone and yet accomplish the decarbonization goals.